0: This is the Horse Radio Network.
1: This is episode 612 of the Dressage Radio Show, official podcast of the United States Dressage Federation on the Horse Radio Network, brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products, Bait Saddles, Han Plastics, and Totalsaddlefit.com. On tonight's USDF show, we will be joined by Cindy Wiley, who tells us what she learned by becoming a USDF FEI level certified instructor. And as a special treat, we will be joined by Sabine Carey who shares her story with us. After that, we've got a great tip with Bill McMullen.
2: This is Reese Coffler-Stanfield from Georgetown, Kentucky.
1: And this is Philip Parks from Rockwood, Ontario. And you're listening to the Dressage Radio Show. Well, welcome home, Reese.
2: Thank you. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> it's so, you know, I, we love our time in Florida. It, it is great. We had a great season. But there's something about coming home that's just wonderful. And Kentucky in the spring. Phil, so you, you, you usually come and visit us in the spring. Cause
1: it's that oh, nice it's here. so beautiful. Yeah. and yeah. Uh, Do you have all the blossoms out yet?
2: They're if, coming out and it's They're so green. No, no. Yeah. yeah.
1: I'm not going to lie. Um, uh, are they
2: running is, races? I, I, yeah, but I'm not seeing a lot of mask wearing. So um, uh, I, okay. I'm just seeing some pictures. So they are running, I think, limited capacity. Um, but I have, I've not gone over for sure. Um, but my brother came down um, and in my nieces and my sister-in-law. And so I actually did take, uh, I've been here in, in, in town and I, I rode my horses, but uh, I have taken a little time off just to spend some family time. We haven't, I haven't really seen them in a year and uh, it was great. And Easter and Easter with the kiddos is, is so fun and we had a, a lovely time. So it's been a very nice kind of get back into routine uh, we were we were laughing. Uh, my main man Bingo. I was trying to give him a little time off, but he did. He wanted to work. So he and and again, um, I think we'll you'll love that because later in the show we'll talk to Sabine Shout and she'll talk a little bit about keeping a grand prix horse fit it's a little different they're so used to their routine he he was not having time off um so Mm -hmm. even if you just get on him him mentally yeah yeah, mentally even just tack walk for 20 30 minutes um uh, he was he didn't like it when and he was he didn't get the time off situation so we enjoyed just some some hacking uh and, and it was very it's been the weather's been great so Uh, not the day we arrived the day we arrived it snowed (laughs) but then it's it's leveled out and it was absolutely gorgeous for easter and it's been really nice so it's been nice to be home so yeah yeah yeah. really good
1: awesome well i think i think we'll just actually have to jump right to the show unless you've got a big show tonight yeah no we have a big show tonight but but it 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 was great to do the recording with our guests and uh, i think i think this is uh I don't, I don't want to oversell it. So Yeah, we don't want to oversell, show. but it's, we
2: think you're going to like this show. So we're going to get right into it after this break from the USDF and also Kentucky Performance Products with newly certified USDF Certified Instructor Cindy Rose Wiley. Founded in 1973, the United States Versage Federation has become the largest organization to represent a single Olympic equestrian discipline. At nearly 30,000 members strong, USDF is your connection to dressage education, competition and achievement. Visit usdf.org to learn more about USDF education, competition and award programs, and to shop our online store. Again, that's usdf.org, your online destination for dressage.
0: This Nutrition Minute is brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products, the company that simplifies your search for research-proven nutritional supplements at kppusa.com.
3: The horse that matters to you matters to Kentucky Performance Products. Researchers have confirmed that as horses age, they naturally become less sensitive to insulin and more susceptible to health problems caused by too much sugar in the diet. One way to reduce the sugar content in a horse's diet is to replace sugar-laden grains with a high-fat supplement. Fat is an extraordinary energy source. It is readily utilized by the horse and contains more than two times the calories of sugary grains. EquiJoule Stabilized Rice Bran is an excellent fat supplement. It contains a balanced calcium-to-phosphorus ratio and won't cause mineral imbalances when added to the diet. Its all-natural ingredients are high in healthy fat and fiber. Best of all, Equajewal allows owners to easily replace the calories previously supplied by sugary grains. When you need to add healthy calories to your horse's diet, choose Equajewal. To learn more, visit Kentucky Performance Products at kppusa.com.
2: Well, tonight we are very excited to have one of the brand newest FEI-USDF certified instructor. She is a large R judge and an S judge candidate, and she is an FEI rider and trainer at Quarterline Dressage at Rosebrook Farm. Cindy Rose Wiley, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me, Reese. Oh, well, we know this test. We've been highlighting the candidates that became FEI certified instructors because it is a very difficult exam, and we wanted to celebrate your you guys and what you did, and uh, you have a great kind of tip on what you learned during the process of becoming a FEI certified instructor. So we'll just get started. How does that sound? Sure. Um, Like you said, it's been a journey. I've actually been on this journey since 99
4: when I first started with the program. A lot of things came to light along the way. You pick up things about teaching, training. There's a lot of knowledge to be learned through the program. The one thing that's really stuck out, in my mind, the one thing I think I've brought home the most is ways to be a more effective instructor, as well as ways to teach a more effective lesson. Um,
1: Well, that sounds good. I I I mean, let's get started. I I need to know all of this stuff. Yeah,
4: we need refreshers. (laughs) Hopefully, I do it all justice. Um, So to be a, a more effective, to be a good instructor in dressage, I think first and foremost is having good horsemanship skills. I do worry sometimes that barn rats seem to be a, a dwindling commodity. You know, I remember the days of just hanging out in the barn, just watching, just learning everything I could about horses. But it also goes above and beyond just the horsemen, the, just the hands-on kind of and the riding sort of stuff. Um, part of good horsemanship is learning to respect all students and all horses. We have to recognize as instructors that not everybody is bound to the Olympics, not every rider wants or even is even suited to ride that big, fancy, moving warm blood. Some people just want to enjoy the journey with their horse, and it, it can be a, a fairly average horse with limitations, but they can still have a great time and, and learn a lot from it if, if we work with them correctly. The horse clearly needs to be sound and and having three clear gates really helps, but if they're happy with their riding and their progress, then I think we as instructors owe it to them to to be happy for them too Part of my personal journey in dressage has opened my eyes to the part that every horse doesn't have to move like totalists or even half that
2: mm-hmm. it's, yeah. that's such a great way to say that because I think as you maybe get older us on the call, where I wouldn't say that any of us, sorry, Phil, are young instructors anymore. I feel like we've been doing this a <laughs> long time. and um and and I think you learn that on your journey, right? And that is, I have students that and and I think maybe the pandemic helped me with that as an instructor. A lot of people came to the barn to just spend time with their horse. And a lot of them, I saw them, they had a little extra time probably because they weren't going anywhere. They didn't have to run off somewhere. And I saw so many people just enjoying being with their horses and me too. I was able to have a little extra time. Where was I going? So I could, I I, I live at my facility so I could spend time and hand graze my horses and spend some extra time with them. And that really did get me thinking on how important it is to number one, sort of know why you're doing what you're doing yourself. But I think Mm -hmm. it's also really helpful um, from the instructor standpoint to, like you said, recognize what each student wants to do. But I do think that that is a way that students should also do that with their instructors, right? Like it's okay to, to voice your goals. And if it is your goal to work on um, your horse standing better in the cross ties or whatever it may be. It's good to voice that to your instructor because we can only work on communication from you as a student, or um, we can have our own ideas on what we think you should do. But I think just being able to voice that is really important from the student, but also from the instructor, wouldn't you say?
4: Yeah, exactly. Uh, You know, and the instructor has to be empathic towards those things. Sometimes, the instructor has to be able to read things that aren't voiced, you know, be a little bit sensitive to, hey, you know, she's not enjoying this aspect of it. What can we do to make her more comfortable with what she's the time she's spending with her horse?
1: That can change over over time okay. or it can change from one week to the next, um, you know, but I think the communicate the two way communication is just a really important point that you guys are making here. And, you know, I, I certainly don't. Like I, I'm, I'm a really driven person, and I have big goals, and, and you know I want to, but I I I can't show up every day at the barn with the same sort of enthusiasm because there's a lot of other things going on in our lives. So, I mean we we need to we need to listen to people that you know and and, uh, and, and people need to talk you know talk about you know like what what they want what they want to accomplish next month, but maybe just what they want to accomplish that day. Um, because exactly. you know this this uh, ho- this hobby for ninety nine percent of the people, it's a hobby. Um, yeah. you know has to be <laughs> fun first and foremost. and 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 that yeah. that can be hard from you know to communicate and to to understand from from an instructor. and most I think most are you know kind of competitive and and goal driven and, and and all that. so I, I I'm really liking this conversation.
4: Yeah, well, and and I think you touched on some of the other aspects of of a good horse person, uh, the compassion, the empathy. There's also this sense of humor and humility, which you just talked about. I can't come mm-hmm. to the same day, you know, the, with the same enthusiasm every day. And there are times, let's face it, horses are humbling. We're gonna feel frustration. We're gonna be frustrated, and maybe our own inabilities. To get something across to the student, well, what better time than just blow off some steam and crack a joke? You know, lighten the load a little bit so that they don't sense your your anxiety about what's not happening. Patience, exactly. Things take time. This dressage this, is definitely a process. And the horse that might not stand on cross ties today, six months from now, might ground tie. So yeah. You have to realize that what, and and how many times do you have a student come in the ring and see, for example, the horse is hanging on the left rein. Oh, well, he's always hung on the left rein. Well, you as an instructor know that it's the progressive exercises we're going to use to fix that. It's not always going to be that way. And I think that's part of our job, too, helping the student understand that part of this journey is helping them change the rideability of their horse. Yeah. Um, Well, and I, and I think
2: too, as uh, you know, when, as an instructor and a student, you know, there are times again, you know, recently and during the pandemic, I've learned this, there are times it's okay. If you don't want to come out, let's say you have a lesson, you know, a lot of us will teach students every day or multiple times a week. It's okay to Mm -hmm. sometimes come out and say, I need a light lesson today. That's okay. I got something going on in my life. Um, what is difficult as an instructor is if somebody doesn't say that, you know, if we don't know that we're going to trudge on you, we're going to go on and go forward. But if you're like, Hey, you know, something's going on in my life or whatever, it's fine. I I do that when I do yoga, sometimes, you know, I'm like, ah, today I can't do the 45 minutes sweat your guts out yoga. I gotta do a real light one. Um, and yeah. so, Yeah. You can do that with your instructor. It's, it's important to be able to have that communication with them. One of the
4: tools, one of the fun tools I give some of my riders, you know, I've, I, I remember one woman in particular who was a lawyer and she would get out of her job at five o'clock and literally she would be so tense, her hair would be curling and standing on end. And I told her, look, whatever problem you're trying to solve right now in your personal life, in your professional life, at your job has to go in a black hefty bag and be left at the arena door. <laughs> Mm -hmm. And it can sit there at the door for the rest of the time that you're in the ring, Mm -hmm. you know, so your time with your horse, I don't care if it's 10 minutes, I don't care if it's 45 minutes, your time in the ring with that horse, you want to focus only on that horse because he deserves it. And mm-hmm. it works really well. It doesn't work with everybody, but it's just a little bit of a visual that does work with some people.
1: Well, yeah. here here's here's another thing you can do. You can say, you know what? I just can't handle a lesson today. I'd like to watch you ride my horse and and mm-hmm. give me tips. And I I'd like to be the observer. You can yeah. learn a lot yeah. from from you know from stepping back and watching somebody ride your horse. And you know exactly. when I when I ride students' horses, I show them this is the exact problem that you're having. Just because I have. Mm-hmm. 30 years of experience doesn't mean the horse is just going to be perfect. Here's the problem. Here's how I solve it. And then maybe you have a more clear picture of, of yep. what your instructor would like you to do. That's super useful, super helpful. And you don't have the stress of being, being instructed and, and being in the middle of a, of a whole, you know, whatever's going on with you mentally.
4: Yeah. And sometimes just watching like that can give them the confidence that they can do this too. Sometimes, when they're up against something that they don't know how to deal with, that can build anxiety, that can build fear, that can build a whole lot of emotions. But when they get on and they see you ride through it, they say, Well, that really wasn't that bad, was it? So, <laughs> that's, that's a really, really good tool to help your, your people. Um, let's move on because you also touched on it a little bit. Um, another quality in a, in a good or effective instructor is your communication abilities, being able to communicate in a clear and positive way that works for your students. We know everybody's different. Everybody learns differently. There's visual learners, there's analytical learners, there's kinetics, there's all sorts of stuff that people go through in order to learn. As instructors, we've got to be able to talk to all of them and, and in a way they understand. Another thing that you need to do and and again in terms of building confidence is empower them and motivate them. You know, mm-hmm. show them they can do this, explain to them how they can do this. I think being positive is a huge part of that. You know, back in the old days, I don't know if you guys remember when screaming was a huge part of any oh, And yeah. Thank God we have sea coaches, but you know, yeah. we were belittled, we were treated in ways that would be totally unacceptable now. And, but learning learning not to say, don't do this or don't do that. Learning how to put things in a positive light works much better. And when you take away all those negative words in your teaching and you take away all that judgmental kind of feeling in your teaching, it creates a much more positive learning environment for them and they feel more comfortable with it overall.
2: Yeah. That's actually a really interesting point. Let's just... When when you, when you tell somebody to don't look at the car, what does your body do? You look at the car, you know, like your body doesn't hear, don't look at the car. You hear, look at the car. So I'm, I'm looking at a car right now, but whatever it is, don't raise your right hand, you know? So you, and as an instructor, you have to really focus on that because when I heard that, I thought, oh my gosh, how many times do I say that? And I, I said it a lot. Now I really try to not say that. Um, and you do have to practice it because it's so ingrained in what we do. So that's, that's kind of where you're going with that, isn't it? Exactly. Exactly.
4: You know, it's give them, give them a direction because sometimes saying don't do something well, they don't know what to do other than do that. You know what I'm saying? So it's if, if, like, I used to have a horrible habit of keeping my right leg too far back. I couldn't figure out if I just stretched it it came forward you know i kept thinking push it forward well i couldn't because it was so crammed up but somebody finally said to me cindy stretch your right leg and that put it in a better position moving on from communication uh, an effective instructor has to be knowledgeable there's a commitment to education and we're not talking about just the education of others but becoming educated yourself which you do learn that in this program that continuing your education is important it's a lifetime commitment
2: it's a lifetime and And it is a requirement right for a certified instructor we have to do a certain number of hours of continuing education every year it's part of it's part of what we have to do and uh, it's it's really important, and it's not an unreachable amount. I mean, you can, if you're having a clinic or something, but it is enough to say, hey, it is important to continue to learn, and it's very true. I think when you stop learning, then you're in trouble. Exactly.
4: And and it's a science and it's always evolving. And, you know, I, I get to go listen to Hillary Clayton when she's at the convention. And every year she has something new and something that kind of makes your eyes open up. I think the most interesting part to me is the people, the top educators in our country, the Lelos or, or the Gary's or the Janet's, they're at almost all the lectures they're at almost all the symposiums and they're not just sitting there to be supportive they're asking questions and they're listening too. and and you see you know what they bring back from it all they've just built this wealth of knowledge through being open-minded that they don't yet know it all that we'll never know it all that there's always some new twist that we can
2: learn from it um exactly Exactly. No, it's and, true. And it, there's so many resources too. I mean, you're, you're listening to this podcast. It's a great, there's so, there are books, there's podcasts, there's lectures, there's now things on YouTube. I mean, really, you can, it's,
3: it's,
2: it's all everything. online now. You can get yeah. it. And it, and it's pretty, well, a lot of it's free and or very affordable, you, can, you know, well, so, I think which is great. Point, I, I need
4: to plug the USDF library. It's a huge asset
2: in terms of learning tools and and
4: videos and stuff. But yeah, there's tons of stuff out there. Um, Part of that knowledge also needs to be the training scale. We, We need to talk about that a little bit because it is the fundamental training concepts that lay the foundation for a correctly schooled horse without really understanding those concepts you're not, your progress is going to stall. You, you can, of course, teach the horse tricks. You can teach him to do, make his legs move in a fancy ways. But at some point, you're going to hit that wall and not be able to get the high degree of suppleness and harmony that we want to see, you know, that's the hallmark of, of a highly trained dressage horse. Um, and then being Absolutely. able to apply the exercises according to the training scale, being able to say, well, that horse isn't supple enough, so let's do this exercise where that horse needs to be better engaged. So let's work a little bit on shoulder ends.
1: Yeah, I say think, I think this is a really important, sorry, I just can jump in, but it's okay. an important point to to understand why are you doing what you're doing? Don't just ride around in patterns and, and you have to use okay. a pattern to find a hole in the training or, or a problem and then yep. apply that. Apply, You know, it doesn't matter. Even, even if it's a 20 meter circle, you're... You're applying your aids. You're you're, you're uh, evaluating on you know what is good, what is not good, what needs to be improved. You know that that's what instructor helps you to do. But you know not not everyone is blessed to be able to ride with an instructor every day. So you're going to need to be be using these tools to make your horse better through your evaluation and through focused uh, practice.
2: Yeah, I think focused practice is really important. I. I, I can, one story just comes to mind real quickly. I I once went to, and this this particular student has been my student now many years. When I first yeah. met her, I went to her arena. She came to my house or whatever. And she was riding an advanced horse. I mean, this was in a schooled event horse and, and rider. had She had just come home from Europe and she was having a lot of trouble on the flat with this horse. And she like literally told me every exercise in her toolbox that she did. And that's exactly what I said to her. I said, I am so glad you know all of these exercises. This is really important and this this is all good stuff. But yeah. why do you use that exercise at each point in time? And she and I actually had a big mm-hmm. laugh about this recently. And um, She's a very good rider now and has, has had success. Yeah. But she didn't know. She just knew these exercises and she wanted to make sure that I knew she knew. She, and I said, okay, that's great but you have to have a focused approach and understand why each exercise is going to work the way they're going to work. And yep. now she's pretty good and she knows why she's doing them. But that was a really important point. Cause I'd never really seen anybody do that when they just came oh. with all these exercises. And I was like, Oh, Oh my. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> well,
0: <laughs>
4: You know, coming from a judging standpoint, you do kind of see that a little bit because you'll have somebody come with you and, I want to ride second level and let's work on a shoulder in. And I'm like, well, great. But the pole's not at the highest point. And the horse isn't coming through from behind. I said, so this horse needs to be more supple and, and more into your outside rein. And they 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 think of the patterns a lot of the time. I, I think we're just getting to a point where people are starting to realize these exercises do have a mission and, and they are just starting to realize what the purpose of each of the exercises are. And I think that's the big why for so many years people were preaching that you couldn't teach feel. Now we understand so more about the purpose of the exercises because dressage has come so far in this country that we realize that we can teach feel if we use the exercises correctly to create a feeling in the horse and say to the rider there, did you feel that? I think that that's hugely important in understanding mm-hmm. the exercises. I think also the final piece of knowledge is being knowledgeable and experienced enough to set realistic but challenging goals. Nobody wants to be the training level rider forever, but you also can't go so far out of their comfort zone that you blow their mind. Yeah, Don't take <laughs> that training level and start canter pirouette. You know, but <laughs> but
2: find the exercises that are somewhere in the middle. Yeah. And it's okay. You know, I think people are like, Oh, I've been at training level for so many years. And I'm like, well, are you ready to move on? Cause it's okay to not be ready. If you're getting 80% a lot, (laughs) then maybe it's time (laughs) to move forward. You know what I mean? But really at the end of the day, it's, it's okay to stay at a level in a showing that you're comfortable. Should you be maybe pushing yourself at home i I, th- I think you should you know I think that's a good time to to push yourself a little bit well and
4: again not going crazy but taking that training level horse and just riding a little bit more shoulder in in some smaller circles just to to kind of enhance what the training level horse is doing but yes clearly always in the comfort zone yeah um I think we should probably move on just to get into the the anatomy of the good lesson now, I I think that pretty much covers to me what a good effective teacher, unless you guys have something to add. No, I think that's fantastic. fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, So
5: I'm ready for for what you love this. Let's carry
2: on.
4: All right. So early in the program, we were given a lecture by Lilo. That was fantastic. And it very clearly spelled out a formula that I use to this day in my teaching. and, And it's the anatomy of a lesson in the old days there really wasn't a format. I mean, I'm talking back in the 80s where if somebody was a second, third level rider, they were out there teaching and they were telling you how to pull the horse's head down and wiggle the bit a little bit. And there was no talk about impulsion or engagement. There weren't words like that yet. It was mostly about riding a frame. So to hear Lilo talking that time and and start to apply that forward, it was really helpful. For a lesson to succeed, something has to be learned. And using a format like this is really the path to success for me. So when we talked already about setting reasonable goals, this is where it gets applied because obviously everybody has their long-term goals, whether to be a better stretchy circle at the end of the year, or whether it's to move up a level, that's a personal thing. Working towards those goals, each of the lessons is a stepping stone. uh, uh, It's a smaller goal and, and it's a stepping stone towards that bigger goal. We want to make sure yeah. that we give the horse adequate time to warm up. And one of the lectures I got to attend stressed the importance of walking your horse for 10 minutes before you start just to lubricate the joints. I think Adequan used to do a lot of that in the early, you know, they used to give us lectures on joint health and stuff. And they made it pretty clear that it takes time for those joints to lubricate. So that's the first thing my students learn about their lessons is they better be out and walking The first part of the lesson is the warm-up phase. And what I want to see in the warm-up phase is look at all three gates in both directions because sometimes you see some differences. There may be some changes of direction to help assess suppleness and bendability. For a more school pair, you might add a little bit of lateral work to see how they react from the inside leg or if there's other prerequisites for the work you're about to do, maybe transitions, you might want to just run through those to get a feel. Or if you were going to work on a half-pass zigzag that day, how is that horse's shoulder And Assess the horse's mindset, and you've already talked about assessing the rider's mindset for that day to make sure they're capable of emotionally doing what you're about to try to do. And during that time, you should take just a minute or two to say, this is what we're going to work on today. Explain why and explain how this kind of ties into stuff if you can.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: From the warm-up phase, then we move on to the work phase using the goals that we just set and making sure the rider and the instructor are on the same page for that. Any basics that you didn't touch on your warm-up phase, for example, in that half-pass zigzag, you want to start with just a half-pass and see how that goes. Make sure the half-passes in each direction are easy, supple, um, with correct bending. Does the ride uh, discuss the exercise with the rider and give them a clear direction? Use the letters, (laughs) you know, go from this letter to that letter, but give them a very clear visual of where they are to go. Sometimes you need to walk the rider through it first. Then, when you get into riding the exercise, don't drill it. Back from Carl McCoco, we used to hear about the rule of threes. If something doesn't improve after three times, then it's probably not going to. (laughs) If it doesn't after three times, then go back to your basics and say, okay, what part of the training scale didn't happen here that I couldn't make things better? The nice thing about the limit of threes is you're less likely to break your horse that way, because sometimes you see riders out there drilling and drilling and drilling, and they just ride the movement over and over and over, and nothing's happening at some point you got to say, why is it not happening? In fairness. I, to the I point. love that.
2: Yeah. I love that. I think the limit, I think that's a good way to put it. The limit of threes do it three times. And yeah. if it's not going to work, maybe yeah. take a break or assess, you know, sometimes I think yeah. you get so into, I'm going to get this. And then it's like, yeah, yeah, but why are you not getting Or, I mean, as a rider too, it's not, it, it's it's, that's a good rule of thumb three times. Yeah, and no it. more. Right, but but
4: do it three times because the first time could also be an accident.
3: Yeah, that's sure. <laughs> true. You
4: know, make sure that the student has grasped enough control over it, but that kind of does guide you to where to go with your exercises. And then when you're done with all that, you want to go back, make sure the rider understood just what happened, make sure the rider understood where to go with it next. If they're not going to see you in a bit, maybe give them some homework. Um, and then a cool down phase where you let the horse stretch a little bit and set up the next time you're going to see them. Yeah, But that's, yeah. that's kind of what Lilo took us through, which, which it really, it does help a lot. And, and, to
2: have and that coming structure. also from the student perspective, right? So it's great, you know, good instructors will run through this phase. As a student, mm-hmm. it's okay. And I think, Cindy, you and I have just been in Florida. I'm not sure if you're still there, but you know, where we were students as well, where we were taking yep. lessons and, and, it, and it's nice sometimes to be back in the student role. Cause there's times oh, yeah. where it's okay to say to your instructor, Hey, can we go back to that one half pass? Or can we go back to this one thing you said, because I didn't right. grasp it. And, and yep. it's not, you're not doing that as you're not being rude, right? You're just like, Hey, I, what, what, what were we doing in that passage transition? Like, what would, what, what did I do? What can I do better? That's your time in the moment that if you have something that sort of pops in your head, it's absolutely fine to just say to your instructor, Hey, I could you, can you review that right now? Or, Hey, I don't have any questions right now. Uh, and maybe later when you go back to your writing journal, I mean, don't, don't email your instructor or text your instructor at 11 o'clock at night, but (laughs) the next lesson Yeah. And yeah, we, sometimes it gets us really cranky. Actually, if it'll wake me up and then I'm really cranky, but (laughs) that's not the point. But the the point there is, and then maybe jot it down at the beginning of your next lesson, come back and say, Hey, we talked about this and I was really not clear about that. And and that's okay to do that. That's, that's a good student too. Uh, Again, pick your, pick your moment to go do it. Don't do it in the middle of, you know, whatever, but the next time your lesson starts, you know, or, or if you see your instructor, just maybe send him a text. Like, I have a quick question on what happened. Um, yep. and, and that's a good thing. That's a good part of being a good student as well yep. um, so that your instructor can give you some good feedback.
4: It, there's got to be that communication. And, and if the instructor is sensing something that's not being communicated, step up. Say, hey, you know, what's going on? Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. No, It's, it's really it's been a huge piece of the program that I've taken away and, and I've really enjoyed the process. I'm looking forward to learning more and, and moving on. Um, I am a student. I mean, I still, I take lots of lessons.
2: Yeah, Well, here. you have to.
4: Yeah, absolutely. You never stop. Well, you never stop. And you need never stop. I love it.
2: Well, Cindy, thank you so much for coming on tonight. It's been fantastic. How can our listeners find you online?
4: Well, thank you again. Um, you can find me online either at com. If you Google me, my name, it comes up. It's Cindy with two eyes. The other place is you can find me on Facebook.
2: My Facebook is just my name, Cindy Wiley. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Cindy. And again, congratulations on your certification. That is phenomenal. Thank you. and And
4: thank you for setting the way for us. <laughs>
2: I warmed him up for you. (laughs) No, it was great.
6: Congratulations. Take care. Thank you.
0: Bait Saddles. Bait Saddles are the saddle brand that truly put your horse first. Enjoy comfort, optimum balance, and seamless contact with your horse, leaving you free to concentrate on your aids. Consider the new Bates Artiste Dressage Saddle. It features a movable, flexicontour block, adjustable ergonomic stirrup bar, and luxe leather. The new Bates Artiste Dressage Saddle has a position so natural and a connection so sensitive that the saddle all but disappears and your performance is amplified. Let's hear what said. Saxon, the United States Adventor, has to say about it.
6: I really liked the streamline look that it gave. Um, I love the Advanta and I love the close contact of the Avanta and I saw very similar features in this saddle as the Avanta had, so I was really excited to see how it felt once I sat in it. Sitting in it, I like the close contact feel that it gave it right away. Um, With the Webers, it also gave the ability to kind of really wrap your leg around without having any interference. Um, Right away the balance felt super, uh, very comfortable. The panels were nice and soft on my thigh. Everything about the saddle was clearly well thought through. And as a rider, it's nice to sit down in a saddle that feels designed not just for you, but also for the horse's comfort.
0: Learn all about Bait Saddles at baitsaddles.com. That's baitsaddles.com.
6: PlaidCast is North America's most listened to horse show inspired podcast with over 200 episodes hosted by me, Piper Clem, publisher of the Plaid Horse magazine. Listen in to hear guests, which include Olympic equestrians, top hunter jumper and equitation riders, trainers, vets, farriers, horse show managers, and industry insiders discussing topics that matter. Horsemanship, collegiate riding, the state of our sport, and horse show how tos for riders at every level. One episode each month is devoted to the mental side of your ride with nationally recognized mental skills coach and author, Tanya Johnson. You will also hear insider stories about how the Plaid Horse magazine comes together every month.
2: Well, tonight we are really honored to have Sabine shout Carey. She is a candidate for the Tokyo Olympics riding Sanseo. I got to meet her in Florida and I just had to have her on the podcast. Sabine, welcome. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This is very exciting for me. Thank well, you. We are thrilled. And, you know, we, we we chatted a little bit in Florida and I just, you're just such a kind person and I love your story and I love your horse. And so I wanted to just have you on the show to tell us a little bit about your history and yourself and, and your horse. So I'll let you start with your history. Tell us a little bit about who is Sabine.
7: Okay well <laughs> um, <laughs> I was uh, born and raised in Germany and looking back I mean that's that's really great that I got my education with the horses there and just how the country the geography is being a smaller country really gave me the opportunity to experience a lot as a younger kid and teenager to learn a lot around the horses because I could just ride my bike to the barn. And, you know, it was more like uh, being together with other kids and growing really up around horses and become horsewomen. So I did my riding, obviously, in Germany. And I started, I was lucky that when I was about 16 and growing too tall for the ponies, I was lucky to ride some Friesians and Andalusians and learned early on kind of a little bit different stuff like riding in side saddle or I, Um, learned how to drive a four-in-hand and to learn how to ride one horse and long-line it in the front of me from the saddle, a second horse. So just things like that. and
1: Really, really well-rounded education you you were getting.
7: Yeah, exactly. And, you know, at the time you think that's normal. But as I grow old, I look back and really i understand even more though how special that was and how much it you know taught me to be intuitive with animates and i think it really reflects i want to say in my performance too because like doing so many exhibitions also where you don't have to ride from letter to letter and from movement to movement as you have to do in a competition, you start listening a lot to your horse. When is a good moment to present this or that in your horse? And it's a little bit more of a feel riding because it's not quite as restricted. Then on the other hand, I'm very grateful that I I dipped so deeply into the competition riding because i'm fascinated but by this high degree of throughness that a horse has to have that you do have to do saturday afternoon at 3:36 <laughs> ride a test from letter to letter and there is no room it has to happen so i think looking back at both such amazing experiences, and I love mixing what I learned from both, mixing that together and make it Sabine, make it me, and so that was the first thing that came to my mind when you ask, you know, who am I? Uh, (laughs) I think that's really, uh, looking back, I'm very, very grateful for that, and then just to not make it too long, you tell me if I'm going too far out but no we 19- love it we want
2: we'd love hearing your story okay. it's
7: phenomenal okay then in 1998 I sold my first horse which was a Frisian stallion that I had trained I sold him to a gentleman at in the U.S. in Texas um and I sold him from a video as a breeding stallion, but then I wanted to see where he goes. And so I flew over and um, the gentleman's name is Jim Mosbrook. And he offered me a job on the spot. And um, yeah, I just had met my husband and he came with me. So in 1998, we moved to the U.S. I was lucky enough that Jim... Um, also got me my citizenship really quickly we traveled through the whole U.S. which was amazing my first exhibition because I also taught my horses how to lay down and sit on command they can rear on command just as an an interesting movement for the crowd that they like to see uh, besides the dressage movements so my first actually exhibition in the u.s was in uh, at medicine square garden so coming from europe that was just mind-blowing Um, and they put sand up on the Rockefeller Center for the Today Show, and we had to ride there. I mean, imagine coming from Europe. That's pretty cool. (laughs) That's so cool. That was just like really, really amazing (laughs) uh, not ever been to the U.S. Um, So then we traveled a lot through the U.S. and tried to promote the Frisian horse. You know, also as a dressage horse, and not being so stuck on the breed, but saying, "Hey, dressage means training." So, you know, these horses, yes, they weren't bred for dressage, but they have a lot of things to offer too.
1: Well, um, I, I have to and, I have to jump in here and just uh, and tell you, Sabine, that that you were um, kind of an inspiration for me as well because in the Early to the late 2000s, I can't remember what the years were, I, I got a Frisian stallion um, in my barn for okay. training. And it was <laughs> it was great for me to be able to have somebody to look up to or to say, you know, I'm riding a Frisian. And may, I was probably, you know, the the only Frisian at a dressage show. But I was like, other people do it, too, just not <laughs> around here, you know. Or, or you know, right. I, I think I've seen video of, of you riding the stallions and you... Did such a beautiful job, and that's who you were you were Thank who you. I was emulating to to be like mm-hmm. so this is uh personally this is a really great interview for <laughs> for me to be involved with you know
7: yeah, no, no, and it was i just wonderful times but I think also what I want to share and even for younger upcoming writers, even when we did the demonstrations we were even in Germany or here, I did tell my boss at the time I said, Look We can't just do exhibitions because, you know, there might be. If you want to promote this breed, we also have to make sure they're to some degree competitive um, and, you know, make it also a little bit show it from the serious side. So, with that being said, I'm touching a little bit on that. It was always in me and our group of writers and kids in Germany. We always wanted to do it correct. It wasn't just the the how do you say that the excitement of riding in front of a clapping crowd it wasn't about that it was really doing a good job but combining it uh, you know with the movements like the laying down and rearing and doing the dressage movements and doing side saddle and all these things and just it and why did we do that because this gentleman where the pony club was and the other part of the barn was a gentleman that wanted to promote Frisian horses and Spanish horses in Germany. And so promoting them was also showing them. I mean, we, we did exhibitions in Stuttgart in the break during the dressage shows and, uh, or Aachen, all the big shows. And, um, yeah, so that's what we did a little bit. And then in 2005, I moved to California and then I would say, real uh, business maybe started in the sense <laughs> I wasn't working. I wasn't working for someone anymore, but I was um, had my own business. So there was, you know, single horses coming in, and I tried a little bit with the Frisians. But there's not always that liberty of picking. Like when I worked for this gentleman, he let me obviously pick and choose the horses. And as you know, again, they weren't necessarily bred for dressage, especially back then. So it wasn't always the right horse. And then this is also something that's close to my heart. When I feel the horse has a hard time in it, but also really... How do I say that? When I really feel they don't like doing it, then I'm not going to force a horse to do that. But I explained to the owner, every horse has its place. So we need to find what this horse is good for. And for some reason, I never really came across another good one that I mm-hmm. thought would be a good, good fit. And I started slipping slowly into warm blood, which was great. And <laughs> S- slipping,
1: warm. slipping into warm bloods—it's a
3: funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
7: Um, and looking back now, I mean, what an amazing journey! I mean, to go from that to to you know traveling pretty much the world with doing demonstrations, but now touching into the competitive world to that extent is just mind-blowing for me i mean i'm just really have to pinch myself uh, yeah
2: yeah so and, and then
7: and, um sorry go ahead
2: no no continue i was just gonna say when did you meet senseia so um actually Sensei's owners
7: alice womble Heitman and dr mike heidman they are from texas from the Houston area, from Hempstead, They have Horsegate Ranch there. And um, it was actually really touching because Alice always saw me do my demonstrations with the Frisians and the Andalusians. And she always took a moment and came to me and told me how beautiful it was. So there was always a connection. And when I moved to California, I mean, literally a week after she called me and she said, would you be interested in training one of my horses? Because she thought I was only, you know, working for, for Proud Meadows. So there was a, you know, little bit, I mean, I would have been open, but anyway, so I said, yes, let's, let's, let's do it. So I got Cacique from her, which was a little bit of a troublemaker when I first got him. (laughs) He was a stallion and he had a lot of, his own ideas and, but he was also a great challenge for me and a great, I'm looking for the word. I I learned so much from him and he learned from me. So it was, it was great. And I was able to bring him up the levels and qualified him for Gladstone, showed him in the CDIs. And um, then Alice said to me one day, she was so happy with, what I've done with kasik And she said, well, I wonder, my gosh, what you would do with a horse that you got from the beginning. And hmm. she said, you know, let's let's get a young one and let's see. So then she sent me to Germany, but she was going to come and her family were going to come too. But at that year, there was a hurricane and they couldn't leave. So I went by myself And I went a week and I couldn't find anything. And Sanseo was the last one, the last horse (laughs) on the list. And I really just fell in love with him. It was easy. He was just, what did I, I mean, people always ask me, what, what did you like when you bought him? Because he was just under three. We saw him in October. And um, so he was just getting ready to be under saddle. And I saw him, he was only three times under saddle. So I did not want to get on. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But I saw him on the lunch line and he was just so rhythmic. Like I was just blown away going on that small circle, how powerful and how rhythmic he was going one step like another at that age. And then obviously his gates. Um Alice loves beautiful horses, so she kind of did whisper in my ear, try to make sure it's a pretty horse too. <laughs> <So> <laughs> he he he, yeah. he, he definitely fit the bill there. <laughs> which I first yeah. thought, oh my gosh, that's even harder, you know, to find talent and the looks. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, and then I told her, hey, I think I did find see something that I really like, but I need to ride it. I don't want us to get into this not feeling it. And since I didn't come the first trip, we waited three weeks and we went back and I got on. And he had exactly that feeling that I saw this, like one step like another. And I've talked about rhythm, but with the rhythm, it's also the balance, how balanced he was. And I think that still shows a lot, like mm-hmm. that same step and obviously the quality in the gates, um, but that that good natural balance that he that he had. Yeah, and that's how Sanseo's and my story started. And mm-hmm. I can only say, you know, I'm starting now too with young horses and I'm trying to always remind people in the horse world that yes, of course, Grand Prix is amazing. And, you know, even to where I am with San Theo right now, that's obviously really, really amazing for me, at least. But when you bring a horse along the levels, there's a lot of fun things too. So if you, I really try to purchase or buy something also when there are three or four, so I can do young horse classes. And even with Sincere looking back, how amazing. Like he qualified as a five-year-old for Fairden for the World Breeding Championships for mm. to represent the US. We decided not to go. He was a little immature and we didn't wanna because we wanted to go to Grand Prix, we said, Hey, let's not just look at this year, look in the future. And in order to be competitive, we would have to push a little bit and make him a little more flashy. And I mm-hmm. said, I don't want that. I want to stay honest to the training. And he wasn't mature enough to take him, to push him a little more for that. And then when he was sick, we had the same. So he qualified again for for the World Breeding Championships. And that's when we thought, hey, he's much more mature. And I remember just also wanting to do that trick to give him an experience of what it means to travel overseas to cope with, you know, being showgrounds in Europe that are way more busy and more cramped in than some of ours. So that was really um, also a reason why we wanted to do that trip. So as a component to do for his development as a Grand Prix horse to do one of those trips, um, and then what did I do then? Then we did developing pre-Saint George, which was really fun. And he won Chicago with a really high mm-hmm. score. And then after that, we went the first time to Florida with him and did the mm-hmm. national regular pre-Saint George. And then the year after that, I think was right away the Pan Am year where I started doing CDIs small tour and he um, was on the short list and the short list went to Europe and then he ended up being on the team which yeah. was um, I mean amazing and then the whole experience in
2: Toronto we saw, you there, gone, saw, we you, saw there. you there
6: Phil and I We saw you there
2: we were there we were in the mm-hmm. stand screaming for you oh <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
7: well, that was amazing and um but that's what I was just trying to list real quick in yeah. the sense of how cool is that? I mean, so it doesn't, cool. you know, and not, not every horse always makes it to Grand Prix and we shouldn't be upset by that. As I say, every, every, every horse has its place and there is enough things we can enjoy in the journey. And um, so, yeah, yeah, that's a little bit, I would say, our story and
2: say, yeah, you fantastic. know, a 15 year old it's so of 15 years setting. together. wow. Yeah, yeah. What 12, right? Because we got yeah, them, 12 yeah, years, yeah. yeah. Oh my so, gosh. So now the Olympics, I mean, it, you did pan Ams and now looking for forward to the Olympics in a few months. What happens now? So we're kind of recording middle of April. Um, so what happens now? What's the what's the plan in the next few months getting ready for Tokyo?
7: Yeah, so I mean, we do have to obviously qualify and and all of that. So in short, it's pretty much the end of April is the qualifying, the ending of the qualifying period. So we still have a couple of CDIs coming, I think Tryon and Ocala, I believe where, you know, horses still can compete. And then we have on the West Coast this week coming uh, Rancho Morrieta. It's also a CDI and a qualifier. But end of April, they will announce a short list. Usually the short list goes to Europe, but because of the herpes virus, um, that's too risky. And I think that's very smart to not do that. So instead, um, there will be an observation event in June in Wellington and where the shortlist is going to compete um, and they like a little bit having it in the climate that's probably close to Tokyo or the closest that we have in the country and then from that show on they will determine the team. Um, this year we have only three a uh, three rider team where normally it's or it has been often enough four riders So three riders and one traveling reserve. Um, But the difference this time, I think it's the first time they're doing that format Mm -hmm. that they, there is an option in Tokyo if for whatever reason, you know, maybe your horse doesn't deal well with the heat or something in that nature. I believe the alternate horse can be brought in for the special, which the Grand Prix special determines is for the team medal. So oh, interesting! Um, I, interesting. Think the, I hadn't heard that. Yeah, That's I think,
2: interesting.
7: I think the alternate rider this year has a little bit more, hopefully also fun because it's obviously a tough spot to be in because mm, I yeah. think most of the time, you're there until the jog and after the jog, unfortunately you have to kind of go in your room and wait. (laughs) Yes. Uh, (laughs) I mean, it's, you know, it's, 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 it's it's okay. I mean, I, I, I just, yeah, I think it's probably going to be a little more exciting. So, but anyways, yeah, that's what it looks like. And what I'm just trying to do is, sit tight (laughs) yes (laughs) sure make sure you know to look at it as you know best case scenario that i am going because if i am i need to be ready and not you know not be ready so and that for me means my horse is quite seasoned i feel he has a you know kind of age and competition mileage of a more seasoned peaking horse so for me it's important that I don't override him and that I keep him happy and and especially not just happy I think happy and motivated and how do I do that well I you know I would love to ride every day because there's so many things I want to work on but really hold myself back and keep things how they are improve what I you know little things I need to improve on and I need to touch up on and stay competitive competition fit both mentally and physically and actually both him and I because it's for me the same and we can't forget that and for me personally it's mentally and healthy. I mean I do have to work out and stay fit and sharp and then try to do cross training and try to do, I mean, he goes out three, four times a day, like we, and he has his own aqua tread. So I also try to do, um, like today was aqua tread day. Um, so I'm not riding five days a week and um, he's, getting,
1: he's getting a little he, variety in his work. Yeah.
7: Yes. Correct. Correct. Lots of hand grazing at right, right now. I will say I don't turn him loose out which he has been all his life and I'm big on turnout but and I always thought when I read about other Grand Prix riders I always thought oh you know they should turn out mm-hmm. but being the first time in that place it's it's just scary I mean I can't yes. help it and I keep telling him honey you're gonna I mean and he has been turned out seven days a week but. um I keep telling him he's going to have the most beautiful retirement too. With <laughs> <Alan>. <laughs> yes, But yes. you know, lots of hand grazing. I mean, he gets like, I mean, at least an hour hand grazing and, um, you know, I turn him loose in our round pen. So he definitely can roll and, you know, jump around if he has to. Yeah. So that's a little bit what I'm trying to do. And, um, yeah, stay on the game, but don't overdo it. And that's a fine sure. line. And you know that yes. everybody has to ask that themselves. There is no recipe and yes. risk to it because how much is too much and you know, how much is not enough? That kinda of, I mean, it's nerve wracking for everybody, but sure. you just gotta stay. What I try to do when you're questioning that, I just try to ask myself, Well, what got you here? you know, that gut feeling. I mean, I trained him. Yeah. What did you do before? You also didn't write five days a week, you know, and, uh,
2: you did variety before too. Yeah. So yeah, I I can imagine that's really, it's a, it's a hard time period. It's a few weeks, but it's like, Oh goodness. It's, it's hard. And coming off of Wellington where there's a lot of pressure and a lot of heat, and uh it's mm-hmm. it, I can imagine it's it's a it's a hard time for sure. And I think it's 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 quite interesting to write at
7: that level because it comes down to this this kind of management. I mean your horse knows everything. Yes, there's always things to improve, absolutely. But I think the biggest question I have now asking myself always, well, how many days before the show? How do I lead up to it? What do I do in between the show days? You know, if like the last show, it was so spread out. We had Tuesday, the Grand Prix and Saturday, the special. So what do you do in between? And it's, you know, lots of hours in the stall and more than at home because I don't have the option, you know, hand grazing.
2: Yeah, there's nowhere to hand grazing the day.
7: Really. There is yeah. no, yeah, exactly. And so, I think that's a whole new chapter of where you have to have confidence and um yeah and and play around and learn by mistakes, you know yeah. and sure <laughs> yeah. I mean you just learn it by doing it, you know and and I shouldn't maybe have said by mistakes, learning by doing it because you know, like my little strategy also was I showed November the last time and then I was showing the five star. So the five star was a big show for me. So the week prior, I took him Saturday into a national class just to see what I have. So those little strategy um, plans and yes looking back, I mean, talking about Making good decisions, I was like, "Wow, that was a really good decision you made." And I can tell you, hundreds of bad decisions. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I mean, it's an animal. And, you know, he's a stallion, so I have to watch a little bit. Also, here in Wellington, I'm sure it's a little bit also with the heat. He was perfect gentleman in Thurman in November. It was quite cold he was hot i mean really like <laughs>
4: stylish,
7: he was ready to go and i had He's, to yeah. yeah i had to deal a little bit with that too and you have to remember that and that and that's what i mean with the management you just have to think a lot i also write a lot of things down so i can look back okay mm. if i showed in a colder climate i look back how many days what did i do And then in a more warmer climate, or if I have a couple shows close to each other, what did I do in the middle? I mean, just to... That's a great tip. Enrich. Yeah, Yeah, just to, you know, you know, in the end, in your head, what you want to do. But still, it's always interesting to just read a little bit back. And there's always
2: a little thing I may forget. Um, So, Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no. Oh, I love it! Well, Sabine, we could keep you on air f- all night. Your story is so amazing, yeah. and hearing what you have done with Senseo and just the whole journey is is didn't happen overnight. And it's so fun to hear it. And um, so, but how can we find you online? Tell us about your sponsors. We'd love to hear all that.
7: Okay, first of all, I really like my gosh. I there is never enough thank yous and gratitude to Sunseo's owners to that I can even share this journey with them and their horse. And um, so that's, you know, Horsegate Ranch in Texas in Hempstead and that is Alice Womble and Dr. Mike Heidman. And um, my uh, online, so my website is Sabine Shoot Carry, I mean, www.sabineshootcarry.com. And I have an amazing village behind me of companies, but also friends and products I strongly believe in that support me with Sanseo and our journey. And I would love to um, tell you about them. Um, so it's Platinum Performance, a uh, really, really high-end supplement company out of california i have um oracle equestrian super super quality riding gloves out of germany um cast boards for my helmet um the horse and rider boutique that has always beautiful clothing and i have i have a very dear saddle Supporter the N2 salary, which I love that saddle. Dressage um, sport boots, MDC stirrups, US Animal, Anique um, shirts, CU at X tag store, and I love Nupa Feet, um, the Nero boots, Equine original product, Zara James design for the beautiful stock tag, uh, stock ties. And um, Lux Heavenly Bodies for really important sunscreen for us riders, riding always outside.
2: So I really, really thank all these amazing sponsors. Absolutely. Well, Sabine, thank you so much for coming on. We are going to be cheering you on on your journey to Tokyo and fingers crossed. And thank you for sharing your story with us tonight. Thank you so much for having me. This was really fun. Thank you. Well, tonight, just in time for spring, we have Elizabeth Hoflein. She is the general manager at Han Plastics. Elizabeth, welcome back to the show.
6: Hey, thanks for having me back. How are you guys?
2: We are great. And you have the solution to most of horse farm owner problems in the spring, don't you?
6: I do, yes. Everyone who is rich in mud out there, I have a solution for you. Oh,
3: tell, please.
6: (laughs) So it's a a 100% recycled plastic grid that you put right down on top of the mud, and your horses will be up and out of the mud and happier than ever. It's uh, Like I said, it's made of 100% recycled plastic. It's uh, 50 by 50 centimeters, or 19 and 5 eighths by 19 and 5 eighths inches, and you just put it down and leave it in place, and that's it.
1: So tell us a little bit more about the installation. So you've got, you know, you go and, and you you uh, you pick up your your grids. They're uh, they're not light, you know, but they're one light, person, though. yeah, one person can do it. You you demonstrate. You came over to our farm and you demonstrated how how easy it was. So tell us a little bit more about that.
6: Yeah. So when I came over to your place, um, we found a nice muddy gate area. Um, And we just brought down the mud control grids and wheelbarrow and put them right down on top of the mud, just one row at a time. They just slide into one one another. They've got tabs on all four sides. So you do your first row and then you work on the second row and push them into the tabs on the first row and you just keep going as many or as few as you want. Um, and, And that's it. Typically, there is no ground preparation needed at all. And personally, I think they actually work better when you put them down right in the mud rather than when it's dry.
1: Yeah, and so horse people might recognize kind of this, the system of interlocking if they've installed any kind of rubber matting within their barn, you know. And uh, it's very similar. It's just uh, the mud control grids have holes in them. So so how, how big are the holes? You know, how's that designed?
6: Yep, so the, the holes are actually two inches in diameter. So if you're using them with uh, smaller animals, maybe goats or even with dogs, we do recommend that you would fill those holes. Uh, the nice thing about installing them on the mud is that uh, some of that mud will actually fill up the holes, so there's not as big a gap um, and eventually that mud will dry, and that's actually what holds the mud actually holds these grids together because they don't lock, and that also makes it a lot easier to take them back up in the summer um, if you choose to take them up if you install them temporarily. So do they sink in the mud like how or do they hang on out on top? So they technically will float. But typically in the mud, the more you put down, they support each other. So because it creates a larger surface area, they stay on top. They don't sink down into the mud. You won't you won't lose them into that endless mud pit that everybody seems to have.
2: Oh, that is awesome. Now, do you need to cut them?
6: So you don't need to cut them. But if you'd like square edges, because typically when you lay uh, two rows or more, you would stagger them. So you'll have a half a grid further out in the second row or further in on the second row, you can cut them in half. It's really easy to cut them with a circular saw or something similar to that. Just remember to use a, a wide tooth blade, so a blade that has fewer teeth, um, because that way you'll cut through the plastic rather than melt your way through it, which you don't want. That's going to make a mess. Um, <laughs> but you, you don't have to cut them. It's just if you're wanting a certain look or if you're fitting them into a certain square or rectangular area that you can cut them.
1: So uh, how, how tough are they? Like if I have some Clydesdales around the farm or something like that, is, is there a concern for how much weight is getting put on them?
6: There's not. So you're always, you're always putting these down on, on the ground. So they're always fully supported. Um, the grids can handle 5.6 tons per square foot. Um, so Clydesdales are not an issue. Tractors is not an issue. I've, there's a video out there of a, a dump truck full of gravel driving over them. It's, it's absolutely not, not a problem. Uh, they're 15 pounds each, so these are these are sturdy pieces of plastic that you're putting down to get your horses out of the mud and won't get your tractor stuck either because it's going to support those as well. So, Liz, when you're feeding or you're out, are
2: they slippery? Like, do you have to worry about going down? Because in the mud, I mean, I, I'm sure all of us on this call have bit it on the mud. So <laughs> you know, like, and there's just not very many... Pleasant words that are said and probably some tears involved, I'm just saying, from a friend.
6: So these are not flat on the top. Um, They do have a textured surface, so that does help with traction. We do always recommend to put what we call a tread layer on top, Um, so something like sand or grit, just to give a little bit more traction. And it's especially important if you've got uh, shod horses, just because of that metal on top of plastic will be more slippery than if they're barefoot. Um, and we always say to introduce your horses to these grids once they've been put in place, just so they know what they're about to step on, maybe have them on a lead and just walk them across so they know it's safe and they're not spooked by it.
1: Yeah. And in in my experience, we, we actually took a little extra gravel and made a gravel kind of, uh, layer on top because the horses Mm -hmm. are a little, a little bit kind of nervous, conscientious about them. So So when we first put them down they're like Liz said, we put them around the gate area and they wanted to jump the grids every time, Uh, (laughs) you know, so with a little gravel, they're like, oh, okay, it's fine. And now, you know, they're really, really very used to them. And, 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 but that, that, that would be my recommendation for, for people because the the horses, they're, they're suspicious.
2: Yeah. 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 And, and Liz, like at the end of the season, if you were to pull them up or let's say you were leave them down in the summer, do you, how do you clean them?
6: So you can just clean them with a regular shovel or if you've, you've got a, a piece of equipment with a bucket on top, you can just use the bucket on it. Um, but because it is textured, I would say just to leave that bucket raised a little bit, like to the highest point of the texturing, just so you're not going to damage the grids when you drag your, your bucket across it. But they are pretty sturdy things. Um, you, you shouldn't have any issue keeping them clean. There, again, there are loads of videos out there uh, if you take a look at the website that we have specifically for this product, um, you'll you'll actually see videos of people cleaning them off.
2: That is so cool because I live in Central Kentucky in the spring, which means when it's sunny and beautiful, it's great, but it rains a lot. So yep. how do I get my whole, my hands on these bad boys?
6: Yeah, so we are selling through a network of distributors. Um, again, if you if you go through if you go to our website, um, it's mudcontrolgrid.ca. You can hit the contact us form and we'll let you know which distributor is the nearest to you. We do also have distributors that ship nationwide, or there are also distributors where you can go in and pick up however many grids you need.
2: That is fantastic. So one more time, what's the website? It's
6: mudcontrolgrid.ca.
2: Fantastic. Well, I can't wait to get my hands on these bad boys. I'm starting to really need them. So Liz, thank you so much for coming on tonight. Thanks for having me. Well, Phil, as you know, I actually just got a new pair of stability stirrup leathers because I needed one of on my other saddle. I just couldn't stand it anymore. We were changing them and I just couldn't, I couldn't do it. And I, I, we just love these leathers. We wear them all the time and that's no joke. And you can really tell if you if you go from having a saddle with with the stability stirrup leathers to not uh, just normal. Mm-mm. Nope. It's not going to work. So I really like my syrup leathers and I, I went ahead and got another pair.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I thought, I thought, I thought you had had, had them on all of your saddles. Uh, you know, I do. So, uh, it, I mean, it's worth, it's worth the, the investment. They're not super duper expensive and um, They're going to last you, you know, we've been wearing them with the other and I haven't had to change them or worried about the stretching. It's just really mm-hmm. uh, quality products coming from to- so Total Saddle Fit and you guys should check them out at Totalsaddlefit.com.
2: Well, we have a great Total Saddle Fit tip of the week from newly USDF certified instructor, FEI certified instructor, Bill
0: McMullen. This week's dressage training tip is brought to you by Total Saddle Fit, home of the shoulder relief Girth at totalsaddlefit.com.
2: Well, tonight for our Total Saddle Fit tip of the week, we have Bill McMullen. He is USDF, one of the newest FEI certified instructors, and he's also an S-judge. Bill, welcome back to the show.
5: Thanks, Reese. Nice to well, talk to you again.
2: We're happy to have you. And you have a great tip for us this week. What do you have?
5: Well, in our uh, previous conversation, we're talking about the, the education program and the certification and then also the judging program. So just wanted to, in terms of thinking about presenting yourself in the show ring and, and show that you have good training and, uh, to, and to help improve your scores, is to think a lot about how we ride corners. Of course, accuracy and good geometry is of utmost importance, as we know, to putting the horse in the better balance uh, for the at the level uh, required and to help improve the scores. So one thing to think about this uh, in terms of corners, because a lot of people I'll see sometimes at lower levels, people try to ride such deep corners that the horse can't maintain the balance or the rhythm or the connection to get through the corner. So they need to ride a corner that's appropriate for the level. So a good guideline or a rule of thumb is that at training in first level, training first and second level, a corner can be ridden as though it were a quarter of a 10-meter circle. And moving up to third and fourth level, you can think of the corner can be more equivalent to the quarter of an eight-meter volte. And pre-St. George and above at the FEI levels, that corner could be ridden more toward the quarter of a six-meter volte in terms of how, how deep and, and uh And precise that the corner is. So, and and it also has a little bit to do with a little bit to do with the size of the horse and the, and the age think again, especially say a young horse, a four or five year old horse doing a training level test. I'm going to give somebody credit if they ride the corner appropriately, maybe it's even rounded out, possibly even more than the 10, than the part of a 10 meter circle. If it's a really, you know, a a, a really large young horse and that needs its balance, I give that rider credit for doing what's appropriate for the horse at that time, uh, rather than for them to try to o- overface the horse and ride a deep corner where it's going to lose balance and, you know, be against the bid and and so on and lose the, the rhythm possibly even. So I, I think it just, it, it's common sense in, in terms of that, that it's appropriate for the level and the horse and, and the right time.
1: Yeah. I was just going to jump in with a, with a little tip on corners as well, you know, cause I'm, watching the horses go and and have watched them all winter and we're kind of preparing for show season um you know for those for those younger horses and and the maybe inexperienced riders i have to always remind them that uh the short sides are straight lines as well i i just hate to see um you know corners that are connected a little bit too much on on that on that short side and then and then the riders aren't are, right, you know, doing a corner, balancing, doing another corner. It, I mean, it's it's a short, it's a short kind of couple of couple of strides, maybe not not right. too many e- strides, e- but yes, yeah. E- but even I, I like the level, do a corner and go straight, do another corner and go straight. You know, that I think that's, that's just something sure. that people fail to do is just to keep riding the bend of the corner. You know all the way across the short side and then maybe even all the way down the long side
5: as well. No, the corner is a place to balance and rebalance the horse for whatever the wood is coming up in the next movement. But again, like a distress that, it, that it's appropriate for, for the level and, and, uh, and you know, for the age and the size of the horse it can, can make some difference too.
2: Well, and, and too, you also need to know your test, right? Because, uh, when you start a 20 meter circle, The corner, there is a corner before you start the circle. Let's say you're starting it at A, but once you start at A, the next time you'll go toward a corner, you're technically on the 20 meter circle, right? So you're not supposed to be riding the corner. That's why it's really important to know your test. has to
5: show a difference. Yeah, Mm -hmm. for sure.
2: I know a lot of people that'll just kind of cruise in and they're going through the corner but they're supposed to be on a 10 or 15 meter circle or whatever. Right. So that's why I kind of knowing and understanding the geometry of your test because as a judge, also as a trainer, I think your trainer will be like, "What are you doing?" But as a judge, you're going to mark off for that in the geometry section and that that's just that's just sort of giving points away when you just and- need to know
5: and going along with that, especially what you just said, Reese, is really important, especially like in our new training level test three, we trot at C and immediately it starts the serpentine. So immediately you're starting on the arc of a 20-meter circle. You're not going to the corner. So, and and that's the combine, combination of making the transition at C and immediately then being on that line and not falling more to the corner uh, is, is a really important aspect of, of having the correct start to the serpentine. And that that takes some skill and balance to be able to do that uh, in the right way. Yeah, and then the, for sure. then the serpentine's go on along with what you're talking with the twenty meter circles that goes on to second level with our counter counter serpentine's and so on. That um, you know how many times as judges do we write that <laughs> serpentine's do not have corners? <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
3: it's
2: a huge thing, right? Like it's a, but in in that right. right there, right? You you've already lost a point or maybe two, depending on how bad exactly. your geometry is, and that's yeah, you know. Exactly don't do that. (laughs) You know, you make sure that geometry is good. You know, that's really important.
5: Yeah. That's the bottom line. Good good geometry. It's there for a reason. Right. So (laughs) really quickly to put the horse better on our aids.
2: (laughs) I I love the chart. So training in first level, can you just go back through the Just kind of go back through that chart one more time. So everybody's got it.
5: Like training through second level, the corner should be equal equivalent to about the quarter of a 10 meter circle, third and fourth level equivalent to the quarter of an eight meter Voltae and at the FEI levels can be equivalent to um, a six meter volt, the quarter of a six meter volte.
2: Fantastic. Well, I'm putting that on, we have a quote board in the barn and that is going on it tomorrow or maybe tonight okay. when I get night check. That's a <laughs> great tip. Very, very, very good. good. Well, Bill, thank you so much for staying on for our total saddle fit tip of the week. How can our listeners find you online?
5: We're online at warrenmcmullendressage.com. And I'm on Facebook, Warren McMullen Dressage, and also have a personal page, Bill McMullen, as well on Facebook.
2: Well, fantastic. I look forward and to
5: hearing from people.
2: Absolutely. Thank you so much for your tip. Well, as always, we love email and Facebook shout outs. Keep them coming. We love questions, uh, anything. We, we really like it all, don't we, Phil?
1: Yeah, I mean it's it's fun to to get these questions because you know, sometimes they they really really make us think and uh, you know it's fun to answer them on the show and it's great to interact with our with our listeners. That's uh, that's a, a big part of what what gives us satisfaction for for doing this podcast each week.
2: Exactly. So keep them coming. And just a reminder, because we're going to be working on our book review reviewer in the next couple of weeks. Don't forget our book club of the month is how two minds meet. The Mental Dynamics of Dressage by Beth Baumert. And we want to be getting into this book, so everybody get into it. United States Dressage Federation is your connection to dressage education, competition, and achievement. Visit usdf.org for more information. That's usdf.org, the online destination for dressage. As always, you can find our show notes and links to today's guests on our website, dressageradio.com. Like us on Facebook, just search Dressage Radio Show. Follow us on Twitter at Horse Radio. My website is maplecrestfarmky.com. You can always find me at my email, which is reese at horseradionetwork.com.
1: I think the best place to find me is on Facebook or my email is philip at horseradionetwork.com. I'd like to thank our sponsors for allowing us to put on a good show. That's Kentucky Performance Products, Bait Saddles, Han Plastics, and totalsaddlefit.com. Don't forget to check out all the other shows on the Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com.
2: Everybody, keep your heels down and your shoulders back, and we can't wait to talk to you next week.